Stay standing. Let's pray real quick before we get started in the word. Heavenly Father, we open our hearts and we open our hands to you. Holy Spirit, I pray as we just finished worshiping through song that that heart of worship will continue as we press into your word, that we see this incredible thing, this organization, this organism that you created because of sending your son and his death, his burial, and resurrection. For the peace that we long for, the peace that we just desire so deeply in the innermost being of our soul is not a thing, but it is a person. And so let us proclaim that person today as a body of Christ. Let it be proclaimed so much within our hearts that it comes out of us in light and beauty and love and mercy and grace. Let our hearts be open. We ask all this in your holy name. Amen. You may be seated. So welcome. It's February and it feels like May, I guess. So it's good to be this fall spring that we're experiencing right now is just a a great reminder of what's to come There's nothing like Pittsburgh in the summer. Um, Coming from the south where it's 100 degrees and 100% humidity every single day, you walk outside and you feel like you just took a bath and you just walked outside and you're like, oh man, this is miserable. Um, So looking forward to that. And I have to say, I'm going to give this a disclaimer. Today is Super Bowl Sunday, all right? I don't typically use sports ball analogies um, because I know a lot of people that alienates some people. And so, but since today is, it is Super Bowl Sunday, I have to, to share with you one of the most improbable, almost impossible things that has ever happened in the sports world was back in 19, let's see, 1943. Men from all over the country were called into service to defend our nation in World War II. But because we have to have our football, our real football, sorry for you soccer people, uh, we still have to play it. And so the most improbable thing happened where the Philadelphia Eagles and the Pittsburgh Steelers worked together to form a football team. And in 1943, you have a, a logo coming up here on the screen. They instituted the Steagles. For one year, they pulled the Steagles together so they could actually play American football for one season. Amazing. That would never happen today. There'd be no way that could happen. I mean, you just imagine, I know right now I'm even talking about the Super Bowl, and some of you longtime Steelers fans just get this twitch when you hear that other team across the state. Um, I've been doing some research into the history of Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh, for its entire time, has had a full-on disdain for Philadelphia. And there was an amen I think I just heard. Um, So if you're from Philly, we still love you anyway, I promise. We're praying for you and whatnot. So... But, but back in 1943, man, it happened. The improbable happened. The impossible happened. Today, we're going to talk about the improbable, impossible happening. You know, in the first 
a chapter of Ephesians into the second chapter, verses 1 through 10, we saw that our relationship with God and his relationship with us is just something beautiful. There's immeasurable benefits as he poured out in the first half, as Paul poured out in his letter in the first half of Ephesians 1. And then in the second half of Ephesians 2, it was just immeasurable benefits, immeasurable promises. And we moved into chapter 2 and we see this, this beauty, this access that we have to it that's immeasurably anti-work. We are works-based people. We want to earn what we get, but it's immeasurably anti-work. And so we've learned about the individual transformation from death to life of the followers of Jesus Christ. But today, today we get to talk about the impossible. We get to dream a little and look forward a little. And we get to see that because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, that he takes two diametrically opposed groups. We have the stillers and we've got the eagles and he slams them together. That was not through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, I promise. It was through a business transaction. But there are two groups that we're gonna talk about today that are gonna come together as one only, only through what Jesus provides us. So if you would, if you're willing and able, I would love for you to stand as we read the passage of Scripture today. We're going to be in Ephesians 2. You can turn to it in your Bible, flip to it in your phone, or look at it on the screen either way. Just as a reminder, I know I say this often, but this is how important it is, is that I hope you get tired of me hearing it because they say once you get tired of saying it, people are just beginning to hear it. So I'm hoping that sooner or later you get tired of hearing it is that this time right now when we read these next, I think, 12 verses is the most important time. Don't listen to what I have to say. As I say, take your nap. But listen to this. This is the word of the Lord, the living word of God. Ephesians 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles, in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by establishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of the commandments contained the ordinances. So that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing Peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. For he came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household 
having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God and the Spirit. But the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. So Paul starts this off going in on these two groups. And if we're not careful, we'll only hear really him hitting up one side because Paul was sent to the Gentiles. And so he's telling the Gentiles, the Gentile Christians who are reading this, as a reminder, therefore, remember, consider what was said in these previous, these previous verses that we had talked about the previous weeks, especially verses 1 through 3 in chapter, chapter 2. This lays out that the Gentiles do not have good standing. And so there is a problem here. There's this chasm here. There is this divide that formally, as he says in verse 11, that formally you Gentiles that were called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision. Now, when you're reading the Bible, we can't always apply, we, we shouldn't apply initially our historical context, our current cultural context So we have to work to build some level of historical context when it comes to the Word of God. This was written 2,000 years ago, and so we have to be very mindful of understanding what their historical context was, and then with that understanding, then we apply it into our context. And so we're going to do that later, but we got to build some level of historical context here. So there are some strange words here that are going on, but one thing that we have to understand is that the Jewish people here were the receivers of the promise through the Jewish line. So God was going to bring redemption to all of the world through the Jewish people. And that started way back with Abraham. And so if you've been in school before, maybe you grew up in church, you sang the song, Father Abraham had many sons. So you remember that and you did all the motions. So you did all that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'll tell you later. Just ask me outside and I'll sing it for you. I'll be glad to do that. Um, But all the covenantal promises ran from God and ran through the Jewish people and to the Jewish people through Abraham and the the Abrahamic covenant. Now, if you were a Jew, if you weren't a Jew, then on the flip side, you were a Gentile. Now, a devout Jew, this is how much love they had for each other. A devout Jew would pray and openly thank God every single day. Thank you, God, that I am not a Gentile. That's how much love they had for each other. Thank you, God, I am not a Gentile. But the problem is because, you know, they're in the Middle East. Things are starting to spread out some here. You know, it's hard sometimes to kind of tell who is who. How did they know? How did they know one man standing next to another one? How did they know he's a Jew and I'm a Gentile? Well, if you go back to Genesis 17, 9 through 14, you don't have to turn there. Just if you want to go research it, you're more than welcome to. But the external sign of the Jewish special relationship or the seal of the covenant of promise with God made through Abraham was of all things circumcision. I'm not going to explain circumcision up here from the stage. 
I'd say Google it, but don't Google it. That probably wouldn't be a wise choice either. We can talk about it later. I'm not going to talk about the merits of why circumcision was chosen to represent the membership card for a Jewish male. Um, there is an expectation of modesty here. And so I actually told David that I'm going to plan the, the circumcision sermon on February 30th at Never O'Clock. So you show up, you be here. We'll make it happen. So, but there is this external sign And that's what Paul is referring to here when he says that you uncircumcised that are called back by the circumcised, we're starting to see this divide begin to take place. And, you know, then Paul, and only way that Paul writes, if you ever listen to Paul as you read and you listen to him in his entirety, my man gets pretty snarky at times. And there'll be like these kind of jabs that he'll throw in there that sometimes we miss in translation from the Greek to the the English. And then this is one of those here. And so we see as it moves into verse 12, it says, Remember that you were, at, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, in verse 11, therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so called circumcision, now listen to what he says here, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Just that statement there in verse 11 would have triggered the Gentiles. They'd have been like, Man, stop talking about this. We know we don't have it. We know we don't have the sign. We don't have the membership card. We can't, we can't ding into Disney. We can't get into the membership club. We, we don't have it. Why you got to keep talking about it? So now the Jews are upset. But then if we listen to what Paul's language here is, he says this statement that every other time that it's, it's used in Scripture, it's referring actually to idols. This formed in the flesh by human hands, this thing that seemingly is good that now becomes ultimate, this sign and symbol that got us into the in crowd is now become this idol, this thing we put up on a pedestal. We worship the sign. We don't worship the God that it represents. Well, by saying that, like all, as, a, as a, the Jewish male would have been like, what'd you say to me? You said this is an idol? So now the Jews are triggered. Now, we got to make sure this is very clear because we're building this distinction here. And, and you say something like this to a Jewish male and, and those be fighting words. And, and the, one of the best arguments that I can ever recall in our culture when it comes to fighting words was Ham Porter versus Phillips in the greatest movie of all time, The Sandlot. All right? The ragtag group of guys are there in The Sandlot. And Phillips and his all-dressed, nice baseball team rolls up. And they start throwing some things back and forth at each other. And we hear his little, like, moron, scab eater. You know, we're starting kind of low. And then Porter screams out, you eat dog junk for breakfast. And the other guy's like, no, 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 you eat your Wheaties with your mama's toe jam. And then Phillips comes back and says, you bob apples in the toilet and you like it. And that was it, man. Porter couldn't take any more. And so he unleashed the ultimate. You play ball like a girl. And that was it. These fighting words. And for a Jewish male, your circumcision is an idol. Your circumcision is done in the flesh. Just like you talking about circumcision to a Gentile, those would be fighting words. That was something that they could not get over. These two 
groups couldn't stand each other. Diametrically opposed. But we keep going. We go into verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ Jesus. And here he continues to show the separation here. And he lists, he makes this list as Paul often does in his very legal mindset. He's demonstrating the discrepancy. He says that you are separated from the Savior. You're excluded from the nation. You're a stranger of the promise. You're absent of any hope. And you're alienated from any personal God. Now they had gods. There were gods everywhere. Every street corner in Ephesus had temples to gods, shrines to gods. You could pay all the money you wanted to do to get them. But it wasn't the personal God that they longed to have a relationship with, the one like the Jews had, the one like the children of Abraham had. There was no redeemable quality here. Paul was laying it out there that these two things were so separate. It's as if you got what you wanted here and you were able to to chill out in your warm home and eat big gyms and and cheer for your stillers and watch TV and do everything else. And then I got cast out to outer Mongolia with no jacket. I had to sell ice. I had to live with a cat, which would be awful. And then y'all made me eat vegan or something. Like, that's how angry I'd be. All right, these two groups, they don't have anything to do with each other. The contrast between these two groups is stark. There was a disdain that was beyond anything that we could just contrive within ourselves. There was no chance for unity. The Jew Gentile football team wasn't coming. Unity was impossible. So if Paul was writing the Steel City Church, what would those groups be? Where's the divide in our church? Where's the diametrically opposed sides? What would he tell us to do about it? Verse 13, he makes this statement. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now remember, he's writing this letter to a group of Christians, those that have experienced the death, blood, and resurrection of, of, of Jesus Christ. Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here, in this group, in this time, something had changed Something zeroed everything out. The playing field got level somehow. Something had to have happened. You know, the group that could do nothing, the Gentiles, they were separated, excluded, strangers, absent, alienated, they've been brought in. The group that demonstrated their relationship with God through external actions and signs and symbols, they, they could now rest in the finished work that that was done for them. But they didn't do it. What was it? Verse verse 13 tells us, been brought near how? By the blood of Christ. By the blood of Christ. What does this tell us? 
What does this tell us? It tells us that these two groups, the playing field was leveled, everything was zeroed out, and the cost for doing that, the cost from going to what was to what is now is incredibly steep. It wasn't just some change in the offering plate. It wasn't just a New Year's resolution. Something incredibly steep had to happen. But the implications of this is so beautiful. So I ask again, Steel City Church, what are the groups? What's the different sides? What's the chasm that divides us? Does the blood of Jesus level it out? Then we see this thing begin to happen as Paul continues in the verse 14. He says, for he himself is our peace. For he himself, for he, Jesus, is our peace. Now we have to be very careful here because there are times that we say something and we don't really know fully what we're saying yet. We don't understand the ramifications. We don't understand the implications. We just kind of say it because we know we're supposed to. And so we can say, ah, Christ, Jesus is our peace. Actually, I was just standing outside with Nico and Rich and a car drove past, and on the back of the the car it had a bumper sticker that said, teach peace. And here it says in here, Jesus is our peace. What does that mean? You know, think about back in 2006, December 23rd, 2006, Two days before Christmas, I told Rachel that I loved her in front of a whole congregation of people. I made vows to her. I promised to, to love her and cherish her and care for her. It was 16 years ago now. I just thought I loved her then. I had no idea what that meant. 16 years later and the things that we've been through. Two kids and other just struggles and, 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 and high mountaintop moments. I just thought I loved her then. So when he says Jesus is our peace, what does that really mean? We have to make sure that we, we kind of pull out a little bit more of this historical context. Well, he says Jesus is our peace and then he goes into this, this historical thing that for some of us is like, wait, what? What is he saying? So I think once we understand this, we might have a better idea. And so he says in the second half of 14, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. So we have to understand what this barrier dividing wall is. So I have a picture for you. So this big place is Herod's temple. All right, and you can see down here is the court of the Gentiles. The Gentiles had to be separate. If a Jewish man ate lunch or, or dinner or something with a Jewish male, he would have to go through a, a time of purification because they're impure. They're impure people. Now, there was a cultural understanding that they still needed to allow them to come into the temple so they could get an experience of the one true God, which was Yahweh, but they would put them in this, in this court of the Gentiles for those that wanted to come. And in between there was a dividing wall. It's about five and a half feet tall between the court of the Gentiles and where the worship was actually conducted. God was in the high holy place, but it was like there was a separation. It was so much of a separation that they've actually dug up these signs, and this is what this sign says when it's translated into English. It says, no man of another nation 
If you're not Jew, you're a Gentile. So no Gentile, essentially, is what it's saying, is to enter within the fence and enclosure around the temple. And whoever is caught will have himself to blame that his death ensues. Pretty blunt, huh? The temple was still standing at this time when Paul wrote this. And this was a point of pride for the Jews. We have the temple. We have Herod's temple. It could have been one of the seven wonders of the world had it lasted long enough, is what they think. For the Gentiles, it was disdain. We're always separate. We're always the stepchild. We're always the one that's left behind. We're always the one that's beat on. So this is metaphorical when it's written. Now in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed, setting this truly into motion, physically, but spiritually and mentally. Paul is saying this wall that divides you is down, it's broken, it's useless, it's not there anymore. And then he doesn't stop there. So this is the the physical sign. But then the spiritual sign is the law. It's the first five books of Scripture. It's the Torah. And he he doesn't stop at the wall. He goes to the Torah. And he finishes out in verse 15 by abolishing in his flesh, that's Jesus, in his flesh, the enmity, which is the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances. So he levels that as well. All those things that you jump to and you look back to, you Jewish people, you Jewish followers of Jesus, you don't have to check those boxes anymore. You don't have to hold your Gentile brothers and sisters to that anymore. That is leveled, it's flattened, it's over with. Just as the wall is flattened between us, so is anything else that can be raised up. For those in Christ Jesus, regardless of your upbringing and lineage, the law now is inoperable. And we have to be very careful with our language because Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that he did not come to abolish the law, but fulfill the law. Here, he's he's rendering it useless. He has fulfilled it. It is done. It's not there anymore. The law that was once chiseled on stone is now written on our heart. For it is written is what Jesus says, but I say to you, it is written, do not murder. But I say to you, if anyone has hatred in their heart towards their brother or sister, then it is good as if they murdered them. For, for it is written, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, if anyone looks upon anyone with lust in their heart, they've committed adultery with them in their heart. The law was now written on our heart. We All of us now with the law of God written in our heart can match what our image is. We are all made in the image of God, every single person. And now that's written in our heart, within us, together. You know, when a country falls, when a new regime takes over, they abolish the old law. They throw it out, they render it useless, And they write their own. It takes on a whole new life, hopefully, for the positive, establishing peace. Now we can understand where our peace comes from. Now we can understand 
that Jesus is our peace. Our peace is not a thing that we hope for. Our peace is a person, and that person's name is Jesus. Jesus in and of himself is peace. When we are in Christ, when we are covered with Christ, when grace washes over us, and we look now like Jesus and not like our old self, we're covered in peace. He's paved the way not only for vertical peace with God, where we're not, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We have peace with God, but he also paves the way for, ver- for horizontal peace. Think about the cross. His vertical peace with God, horizontal peace with people, with others. So listen very carefully, anything and everything that followers of Jesus Christ, Steel City Church, that we could physically, socially, spiritually, or ritually erect and act, mandate, create, or anything else that would bring a barrier to a peaceful unity with God and with other people, especially followers of Jesus, is essentially abolished before launch. It's null and void. It's worthless. It's not any good. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, hey, I'm your peace. But he takes these two different groups. And as you continue, he says in verse 15, so that in him himself, he might make the two into one new man. Establishing what? Peace. Now, we have to pay very close attention here. Now, this is my fourth grade, fifth grade science teacher coming out, okay? So if you're a chemist, don't, like, roast me yet, okay? Like, you can talk to me and, like, teach me through this, all right? But there's different kind of mixtures that you need to pay attention to, okay? There's, there's trail mix. Trail mix, when, when you mix it together, it has its each own individual part, okay? The, the peanuts and the M&Ms, they're kind of together, but they don't mix together, all right? Like, and that used to drive me crazy. I love trail mix. And my teachers, whenever I'd get trail mix for a big staff meeting, then I'd get a big bowl. I'd be like, oh, that's so good. I just want to just bury my face in it. And my teachers would stand there and pick out the pieces that they liked. I'm like, stop. Are y'all like, are y'all kindergartners or what? Like, just get a scoop and do it at your seat. But you can separate trail mix. All right, so that can't be it. Then, then you got to think about Kool-Aid. Man, I love Kool-Aid. What's your favorite flavor of Kool-Aid? My favorite flavor is red. I know red's not a flavor, but it is what it is. Nico, you know what I'm talking about because Nico's my boy. So you get Kool-Aid. You mix Kool-Aid together. You got water. You got the Kool-Aid mix. Boom, you put it in there. You now got a solution. If you want to, bad enough, you can separate the solution from the solute and all that kind of stuff. All right, I don't know all the details, but you do. So that can't be it either because they can be separated. All right, I don't know if you've seen this movie or not, but I think the best way to, to, to represent this is Flubber. All right, if you've ever seen this movie, you haven't, then go back and you can up, hit up your Disney Plus and you can go watch it. But... Flubber comes out. All right, we have the the professor here, the crazy professor that mixes these new compounds together, and when he mixes these things together, it creates something different that can't be separated, that can be useful and can be beautiful, and it's something that the world has never, ever, ever seen. It will blow people's minds 
The Jews and the Gentiles now are one reconciled group, two groups diametrically opposed identities. They are now one. The impossible became the possible. How? But through one means, Jesus Christ. Steel City Church, let us not boast in our earthly contrived identities. We don't boast in our race. We don't boast in our gender. We don't boast in our socioeconomic status or our sexual orientation or our family lineage or marital status or our job titles or the letters that we put on our, after our name on our email signature or sports fandom or anything else that we can contrive. Let us boast in the cross of Christ for Jesus is our peace. What's the new compound? What is it? What's the compound that he created? What is this new thing like flubber that, that can bounce everywhere and do all these cool things and win basketball games and whatever else? If you haven't seen the movie, go watch it. It's kind of funny. It's Robin Williams. In, verse, in chapter 1, verse 22, we skipped over a word on purpose because I knew this sermon was coming. And it's this revolutionary term that began to be used in this century as Paul began to paint the picture of peace and unity and what could happen. You know, for the Jews, God only lived in a man-made temple. That's where you went to see the outpouring of God was at the temple. That was the only place. For the Gentiles, gods and goddesses were everywhere and for everything. If you wanted outpouring from them, you paid for it. If you just paid enough money or sacrificed enough, you might get what you were looking for and receive it. But here, Paul is saying the new compound is this thing called the church. A visible form of corporate relationship among believers that is charged to carry out Christ's ministry in the world. Now for us, we usually think a place here, Paul is not saying a place. He didn't have buildings located at 290 Bigelow. It's not what it was. It was a corporate relationship among believers focused on the one who is our peace and commissioned to carry out the ministry. You know, you look in verses 19 through 22, and we don't have time to unpack it. They're just a beautiful kind of structure, very initial structure of the body of Christ. And it's, it's we as the body of Christ, we as the church, we have as our foundation some beautiful things. We have the apostles, the apostles, those who were commissioned by Jesus to go, typically are the former disciples or now the apostles because Jesus said, hey boys, I poured into you, now go, go be missional. And it's also the, the foundation of the prophets, those that, that were empowered by God to speak revolutionary truth into culture, to say, no, don't act like the world does. Hey, just like a fish doesn't know he's wet, you are in culture. That's not right, even though culture is accepting of this. The body of Christ, Jesus says something different. This is death, Jesus is life. We are based on the foundation of the prophets. But then, 
Then we paint about the cornerstone is what Paul says. And Christ is our cornerstone. A cornerstone is on the corner of the building. It's perfectly shaped. It's perfectly square. Every single block that is laid in a building is based on the cornerstone. Every brick that is laid in the church, every follower of Jesus from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation, it's laid plumb and even and square and useful within the boundaries of the cornerstone. If it gets off the cornerstone, the building will fall. God's house is not a place, but it is this new creation, a corporate gathering of people, a measurable peace, a measurable church. A measurable peace, a measurable church. The church is God's most beautiful example of peace the world has ever seen. Let me say that one more time. And you can refrain from laughing because we're going to talk about this in a second. The church is God's most beautiful example of the peace, of the peace the world has ever seen. I say that with a grieved heart. It shouldn't be lost on us that the common butt of comedic jokes is the dysfunction found in the church. The discord, the flightiness, self-righteousness. It's not surprising that Saturday Night Live had a long-running skit called Church Lady, where Enid Enid Strict, played by Dana Carvey, portrays the narrative of a self-righteous and fickle churchgoer. Sadly, that narrative seems to ooze from us all too easily. Steel City Church, what will be said of us? Just imagine for a minute. It's okay to imagine at times. We serve a God that does things supernaturally. He gave us a brain with a portion of it that can imagine. Imagine a group of people with every possible distinction present. Imagine them together. Imagine what could be if we collectively are seeking the grace and peace of Jesus. David and I tried to do this in the office the other day. (laughs) We had a hard time. We are so, we are so described by our deficiencies and our brokenness. Imagine Imagine a group of people with every possible distinction collectively seeking the grace and peace of Jesus. So corporately, let's ask some questions. Let's challenge each other. What are the sides? Steel City Church, what's the sides? There are sides in every church, in every 
conglomeration of people. We make distinctions because that's just seemingly how we're wired. I don't actually think that was, a, was the original design. I think that's a result of the fall. If you want to hear my rationale on that, I'd love to share it with you. But what are the sides? Young versus old, outsiders versus yinzers. What about those that limp in, that limp in the church every single week with a sense of hopelessness versus those that pimp walk in with pride? What's the distinction, man? There's got to be some. What are the walls? What are the walls that need to be abolished? What are the ordinances and laws? What are those, those man-made things that we make up just to hold each other back and push each other away? Steel City Church, what is this? Now, I will say, as your pastor, I'm incredibly proud of you. David and I actually had a hard time coming up with definitive ones for our church right now. However, Satan's pouncing. He's ready He's ready to get us. So we need to acknowledge this now, that this is a possibility and that Jesus is our peace. You know, he started out individually and he moved to collectively, so collectively we can analyze this together, but also individually we need to ask ourselves questions. So individually, who is it? Who's that person you're like, I ain't put myself around them today. I just ain't got it in me. I ain't doing it. Not today, not today. Who is it? What is it? How is it? You know, what is it? What is it that, that is, is keeping you from taking that next step? Who's that person that, that needs grace and needs forgiveness? Who's that person that, man, I know it's a tough time. I just, I, don't have, I just don't have it in me. I don't have a, the emotional strength to really listen to it right now. Who's that person that you need to just gather up some humility and just listen? You don't need to solve the problem. You just need to listen. They just need an ear. Grace and truth, who's that person that needs some grace and truth? Who's the person that you need to have the hard conversation with? Who's the person that you need to have some hard accountability with? Who's that person that you need to edify and encourage, that you need to say to them a statement that we don't say enough because we're so inwardly focused in the body of Christ? I see in you and edify them on the flip side the accountability piece when we see and don't say this is what I used to say as a principle all the time when we see and don't say we condemn by quiet by quiet condonement when we see something and we don't say anything about it when we see someone slide down a hill that they shouldn't be sliding down and we don't say anything, we actually condemn them, condemn them by quietly condoning it. Where's the conversation? Jesus is our peace. 
We can love each other and care for each other and edify each other because Jesus is our peace. I have no better way to illustrate this than the story I'm about to tell you. Um, Thinking about it chokes me up. This church on the screen is True Vine Church in Zakhli, Lebanon. And if you're in Zakhli, you got to add the to it. Zakhli, Lebanon. It's on the eastern side of Lebanon, right in the Bekaa Valley. Lebanon, at the time that, that I got to go and Tyler Abernathy got to go with me in 2019, had open borders, and Syrian refugees were pouring over the border looking for safety. And they, they had set up Syrian refugee camps all throughout this Bekaa Valley area. And this church, True Vine, is led by a guy named Jihad. Jihad is a very faithful man, loves Jesus dearly. Jihad was an older fella and had fought in a, a civil war previously. He was a trained sniper. In a sniper training, he was taught to hate Syrians. He was taught to kill Syrians. Your target is the Syrians. Kill them. Dispose of them. Get rid of them. They're not worth anything. Fast forward back to the Syrian refugee crisis as they poured over the borders. His church there was perfectly located in Zakli. To do what? But care for the least of these. And those just happen to be the Syrians. Well, the Syrians and the Lebanese can't stand each other. It's been a long-standing feud and dispute. There's no way they were going to let Syrians into the main sanctuary. So the Syrians began to gather down in the bottom little chapel area. And sooner or later, somebody came up and said, Pastor Jihad, you've, you've got to come check this out. Like we, We're having a space problem. And so he goes down there, and the entire room is filled with Syrians who are catching the, 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 the sounds of the worship center just kind of through the walls and, and, and through the air. And so, because Jesus is his peace, he stands before these Syrians and he begins to preach a message of hope in the gospel. And when he was telling this story to us, he said, Chris and, and, and y'all, it's not lost on me that I'm standing before these people that I murdered, that I killed, that I hated on purpose, but because of the truth of the gospel, they are now my brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Steel City Church, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do? Anything that we can contrive as a barrier is not worth it because Jesus is our peace. Let us rest in that. David's going to come up and do a, a communion reflection. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
We proclaim not a thing. We proclaim a person. We proclaim Jesus. Let your gospel seep into those dark places of our heart where we hold things against people and we, we, we make distinctions and separations. Lord, let Steel City Church be a place that is a light of the gospel to the community not for anyone's glory, but only yours. Lord, as we move into a time of communion, it was because of your death and your burial and your resurrection, your bloodshed and your broken body that gives us this peace. Let us rest in that. We love you. We ask all this in your holy name. Amen.